Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 262, Pre-Thanksgiving Turkey Soup. And I am your host and the guy who survived the cold. More on that in a minute, but we are currently 137 days, 11 hours, 14 minutes, and 42 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I told you guys I survived the cold. Well, I survived the cold this past weekend. And remember, for all of you guys listening up north, you've got a different perspective on what cold is. But we had our first real cold snap since last winter, this past weekend. And it just so happened to be the weekend that I have my camping trip with the guys. So we were at my property camping out, watching some football, burning some logs, and cooking some food, and maybe sharing an adult beverage between the group. But it got pretty chilly this weekend in central Alabama. It was a great weekend for camping, but with temps in the upper 20s where I was, sleeping on an air mattress was a bit chilly. But I did survive it. I'm back. And I'm glad to be sharing the struggle with you guys. The struggle is real. Hey, before I get into this week's show, I want to say thank you to my friend Evan Murphy from Mississippi. You guys may remember I had Evan on the show back in the spring after he and I doubled in Mississippi. So he invited me to hunt with him in Mississippi this past spring. And that marked off Mississippi from my list of states that I needed to kill a turkey in. And this past week, I got a little something in the mail from Evan. And I knew Evan was a pretty talented guy, but I didn't really know that Evan was this talented. So here's what I got from Evan.
Evan made me a purr pot, and he made it out of 200-year-old reclaimed cypress from the Mississippi Delta. On the back of the pot, he's drawn a turkey tail fan feather, put his name and the year, and it says 29 of 49. On the striker, he's got a turkey wing feather drawn on it inside the outline of the state of Mississippi with a 29 written on that. So he's hand-turned the striker. He's hand-turned the pot from reclaimed 200-year-old cypress, put a great-sounding piece of slate in it. And I got to tell you, when I got this in the mail, I was blown away. The thought and the effort that went into making this call is amazing. And as soon as I opened up the box and I saw this call, it instantly shot up to the top of the list of my favorite turkey calls. And then I got to play in it and... Good gosh, man. I mean, I know it's a purr pot, but some of these purrs are ridiculous. Evan, thank you. You're extremely talented. You're extremely thoughtful. You're an extremely good guy. I appreciate this very much, more than you'll ever know. If any of you guys would like to check out this call that Evan made for me, you can go to Facebook and search Evan Murphy, E-V-A-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y. And there's a post that Evan put up on October the 28th at 1.31. So if you scroll down his newsfeed a little bit, you'll see that post on there. And you can see the picture of the purr pot that he made for me. And if any of you guys want a purr pot for yourself from Evan, then you might want to send him a friend request and shoot him a direct message and Ask him how you can get one. But I tell you, I am stoked about that purr pot. It's been sitting on my desk ever since I got it. And I've been playing it a little bit here and there. But I've got a little bit of practicing to do on it for really no other reason than I just like running turkey calls. <laughs> I know a lot of you guys feel the same way. Oh, and by the way, if you go on Facebook and you are looking for Evan Murphy, you probably will know which Evan Murphy it is when the profile pics pull up. But if for some reason you can't figure it out, he's the Evan Murphy from Hernando, Mississippi. Hey, I've got some pre-Thanksgiving turkey soup for you guys. So let's jump in and get going with this week's turkey news. And by the way, there's a lot of it coming out of Pennsylvania this week. Hunters and other outdoors enthusiasts heading into Pennsylvania's state-owned forests this autumn are going to find additional roads that are going to be open in 18 of the 20 state forest districts. There are 516 miles of state forest roads that are normally only open for administrative use, but they've opened those up for hunters, hikers, and others visiting state forest lands this fall. These roads are going to stay open into January of 2020. And the state's bragging a little bit, and they're saying that regardless of whether people are seeking deer, bear, turkey, or small game, hunters in the state of Pennsylvania will find more than 90% of that land is now within one half mile of an open road. Now, personally, I don't know that that's a huge benefit for me, obviously, because I live in Alabama. But even if I lived in Pennsylvania, I don't know that that's a huge benefit for me because I like to get away from the roads when I'm hunting. But I can see where this would be a big benefit for 
hunters who are a little bit less mobile or maybe those that are in wheelchairs and can't get out and walk a great distance, this is a good opportunity for them to be able to get out and do some hunting without a whole lot more effort on their part. So that's pretty exciting news for you guys and ladies in Pennsylvania who want to get out and hunt. Again, coming from Pennsylvania, there's an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that says fall turkey harvest is the biggest factor affecting the spring hunt. So Pennsylvania is about two and a half years into their most recent 10-year wild turkey management plan. And the Game Commission's turkey biologist, Mary Jo Casalina, has basically said that the primary factor controlling spring turkey populations is management during the fall male-female hunt. She says that the 2019 and 2020 fall turkey season regulations are far more detailed than statewide spring gobbler regulations. And the key to population control is autumn hen harvest. Hey, it makes perfectly good sense, does it not? She also said that disease generally does not play a major role in limiting wild turkey populations. And no turkey disease is known to be contagious to humans or to fowl the meat. Now that I've stopped and thought about that, it reminds me of the Arby's commercials. The meat. Mary Jo Casalina says that regulating the male to female fall hunt by individual management units controls hens in each area, helping them to remain healthy and lay more eggs prior to the more popular spring gobbler hunt. And I'm not real sure how that works because I don't think hens are laying a lot of eggs before the spring gobbler hunt takes place. But the article goes on to say the tighter wildlife management unit based regulations support more eggs being laid in the spring and more wild turkeys inhabiting the shrinking space most conducive to poult survival and adult feeding preferences. She said one of the things we learned from the last turkey plan is that we can affect spring reproduction by altering the length of the fall turkey season when hens are allowed to be harvested. Two years of experimentation when we lengthened or shortened the fall season and analyzed hen harvest rates gave us a nice comparison. Ms. Casalina said the state needs more autumn turkey hunters and that part of the new turkey management plan is to develop a more precise method of determining participation rates within the various age groups. So if I'm reading that article correctly, it's really no surprise that fall harvesting of hens will affect your hen numbers come spring. But what I find interesting is that seems like she's saying that harvesting hens in the fall and thinning out some of that hen population in the fall results in having healthier hens through the winter and into the spring, which means that the hens are more successful and reproducing and have a higher reproduction rate. Pretty interesting stuff. Also from Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Game Commission says that if the Senate signs their Sunday hunting regulation bill into law, that the law would not take effect in 2019. So there's actually a bill that's passed the state House of Representatives that would permit hunting on three Sundays. And the Pennsylvania Game Commission is waiting on the Senate to vote on that bill. They say that if it passes the Senate a second time and is signed into law, that it is not going to take effect until 90 days after passage, which means that it will not be in effect for 
this deer season. The bill is going to permit hunting on three Sundays, one within the archery deer season, one within the firearms deer season, and one on another Sunday selected by the Game Commission, which I'm going to guess would probably be sometime during turkey season, but there's nothing in this article to really suggest that that's what is going to happen. But I look at this like it is a stepping stone. It's a baby step towards allowing Sunday hunting throughout all the seasons statewide. And personally, being an out-of-state turkey hunter who's interested in going to Pennsylvania to hunt, it's huge. But you guys in Pennsylvania need to look at it like this. It's opening the door for more licensed sales from more non-resident hunters who have basically been prohibited from hunting in Pennsylvania because of the distance to drive or to travel to get there to only hunt one day out of a weekend. So now, with the opportunity to hunt two days over the course of the weekend, I think there's going to be a lot more license sales to non-residents, and I really think there's going to be a lot more opportunity for enjoyment for you guys in Pennsylvania as well. So hopefully this will get signed into law, this little experiment will go well, and the entire state will be open for Sunday hunting to you guys. The Pennsylvania Game Commission also wants to remind all of you hunters out there going to Pennsylvania that you no longer have to wear hunter orange while you're turkey hunting in the fall. They also want to remind you that the Saturday after Thanksgiving is not legal any longer for fall turkey hunting. That that is when the gun deer season opens and so fall turkey season will be closed on the Friday after Thanksgiving. And lastly from the state of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania hunters have been warned to take precautions against mosquito-borne virus. A warning's been issued to Hunters Wednesday about a rare mosquito-borne virus that has been found in Pennsylvania wildlife, according to the Game Commission. Eastern equine encephalitis, or triple E, has been documented in wildlife and wild stock in recent weeks. Hunters are being warned to take precautions against mosquito bites and to report dead or strange active wild animals who may be infected. No human cases have been reported in Pennsylvania, but it can infect humans through bites of mosquitoes who have fed on infected animals. People infected with triple E may not show any signs of illness. But some of those infected can develop flu-like symptoms and can cause death. Triple E has infected two wild turkeys and a wild deer in Pennsylvania this year. The virus is not considered a threat to the state's deer or turkey population, the Game Commission said. While we are on the topic of disease, a University of Guelph researcher has a call out to wild turkey and ruffed grouse hunters in Ontario and Quebec for a West Nile virus study that's going on. The researcher wants to find the number of fowl that have been exposed to the virus and where they are. Since West Nile tends to fluctuate over the years, we can see what parts of the province it might be consistent in, said Amanda McDonald. All hunters need to do is collect blood samples from birds they've hunted and harvested and mail the sample in. Researchers will provide hunters with a filter strip to collect blood and a postage paid envelope. This research is completely different from an ongoing project by Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative, which asks hunters to report any dead wild birds 
found during the respective hunting seasons. Hunters in Ontario and Quebec have provided 215 grouse and turkeys to McDonald's study, which were collected between September and December of 2018. Of those, McDonald's said four of eight wild turkeys and eight grouse were found with the West Nile antibodies. 18 other grouse were returned with what is called the flavivirus, which McDonald's said means they most likely have West Nile virus, but the researchers can't confirm it. McDonald hopes to spend three more years doing this research. And so if any of you guys are interested in contacting her, you can go to her Facebook page. That is Ontario and Quebec Wild Turkey Disease Research. So I mentioned to you guys several weeks ago that there's either one more or two more studies being done about West Nile virus and how it could possibly be affecting wild turkeys and grouse. So there seems to be concern about that in our research community and I'm glad that there are several studies being done on that. And like I said, when I talked about this other project that's ongoing, maybe once it's completed, we can have one of the researchers on the show to talk about their findings. I think that'd be pretty cool. News from Tennessee. David Bueller, professor from UT Knoxville, was present to give an update on the Turkey Research Project. The project, concentrating on southern middle Tennessee, has reached the halfway point of the five-year study. Final analysis will not be completed until all of the data is received. Survival, reproduction, and hunter harvest varies annually. The multiple years of data will provide a complete picture. So this preliminary report that David Bueller gave indicates that turkey populations in the area are declining because of poor productivity and that they're doing some experiments with habitat management to try to address some limitations in nest success and brood survival. And also Bueller reports that turkeys are being exposed to a variety of diseases, but there is little evidence that these diseases are limiting population numbers. Now, I'm no scientist, and I've never done a study on turkeys, but it seems to me that if a turkey's infected with a disease, it's not just going to wake up one day and be dead, that the health of that turkey over a period of time is going to decline, which means it's going to be a weak link in the flock, which means that it's going to be an easy target for predators. So I'm not real sure how we can say that wild turkey diseases are not really limiting populations. But I've got to trust these guys and ladies that are doing research, that are out in the field doing all of this legwork and all of the number crunching and all the information gathering. I've got to trust that they're considering those types of things when they make their conclusions. Now we're going to move on to Maryland. I've mentioned this before, but hunters hunting in Maryland should be pretty excited because they got some pretty encouraging results from their POLT observation study that they did this year. So the Maryland DNR just released the annual POLT survey, and they're given a little bit of insight as to how the next few years of hunting are going to pan out. They're saying that dry weather helped 
to improve the Polt numbers this year. They said that a total of 3,788 wild turkeys were recorded by the 91 individuals or groups that returned survey forms in 2019, and that's significantly higher than the 2,582 turkeys observed by 99 participants in 2018. They're estimating the 2019 reproductive index to be 2.8 poults per hen, which is a pretty solid number. They say that this is well above the 2018 index of 1.98 poults per hen and very near the 17-year average of 2.9 poults per hen. The survey documented increased reproductive success in all regions of the state. However, some regions saw above-average success. Last year, only 48% of hens were seen with broods. This year, 72% of hens had broods. Now, before all of you turkey hunters in Maryland get just extremely fired up, here's one of the issues with these types of surveys or studies that are done. Now, you've heard me say in the past that I wish Alabama would do this, that they would open it up for anyone and everyone who wants to participate in the survey because more data is better data. So I'm not against these surveys at all, but here's the issue with these surveys. The author of this article said that he saw a lot of large broods of very young poults early in the summer, but too early to officially count for the survey, which begins in July. And by the time the actual survey and reporting time started, most of the fields in his area were full of corn and that it was almost impossible to see turkeys unless you caught them crossing a road or trail. So again, having such a small sample size with only 91 participants in this survey greatly affects the data. If there were 9,000 participants in the survey, the data would be much more reliable. Some data is better than no data. Lots of data is better than some data. But again, this is definitely not terrible news for you guys that are hunting Maryland. Now I'm going to read part of this article that is in the spokesman.com because I think it's pretty interesting. So the title of the article is Inland Northwest's Thriving Turkey Population is an Invasive Nuisance or a Conservation Success or Both. This article is by Eli Frankovic. 55 years ago, Jack Adkins was frustrated a biologist for Washington's Department of Game, Adkins was trying to catch turkeys in Stevens County using a 90 by 40 foot net propelled by three projectiles shot from a small cannon. It wasn't working. We've had all sorts of problems, Adkins told the Sportsman Review in January 1964, but the main one is the wariness of the birds. Adkins knew these turkeys well. Just four years before, he and other biologists released 17 of the large birds into the wild after obtaining them from Wyoming. They reproduced, and in 1964, it was estimated that there were between 250 and 300 in the hills and fields along the Columbia River near Rice, Washington. That success prompted Atkins to try and catch a few and transport them to the Blue Mountains. But the winged foreigners eluded him, and he retreated in defeat. He would return a month later and succeed, according to a subsequent Spokesman Review story. Imagine how surprised Atkins would be if he were to drive through Spokane's South Hill neighborhood today, decades later, only to have to stop and wait for a haughty flock to cross the road. Turkeys that, in all likelihood, are the distant descendants 
of the wary birds he tried to net all those years ago. After all, how did a species that didn't exist in the inland northwest less than a lifetime ago and that was on the verge of extinction throughout the continent become so ubiquitous? The answer starts thousands of years ago in Mexico. This is where this gets pretty interesting, so listen up. Human-Turkey Relations Kyler Conrad grew up on the South Hill, went to Lewis and Clark High School, took anthropology classes at Eastern Washington University, and graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in archaeology. In 2010, he became obsessed with what he calls the human turkey relationship. It's just too cool to stop studying, he said. As an archaeologist at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, Conrad examines ancient evidence of turkeys in pueblos throughout the southwest. Shell fragments, old enclosures used to house the birds, depictions of turkeys drawn on pots. There are ceramic vessels that probably functioned as turkey watering bowls, he said. Turkey and human relations have been intertwined for thousands of years. Archaeologists believe turkeys were first domesticated in south-central Mexico in 800 B.C. by pre-Aztecan people, and again in the southwest of the United States in 200 B.C. The birds likely were first valued for their feathers, not their meat. Adult turkeys sport more than 3,500 feathers. The vibrant plumage was used in ceremonies and to make robes, blankets, and more. Many of the very complaints now leveled at turkeys, their brazenness, their ability to seemingly live anywhere, and their desire to eat everything are probably what made them easily domesticated, Conrad said. Exactly how that taming happened isn't known, but it's possible a rafter of turkeys, the technical term for a group of the birds, were hanging out by a village eating garbage and never left. They can have a really diverse wild diet, or they can thrive on a diet that is essentially monoculture. Conrad said, they're able to survive and function well in a variety of different environments as long as they have some sort of stable access to food and water. By the time Columbus came to the Americas in 1492, it is estimated there were 10 million wild and domestic birds on the continent. Historians don't know who brought the first turkeys to Europe, but the birds proved popular, both as ornamentation and sustenance. By 1573, turkeys had become a main course in English Christmas dinners, writes Jim Sturba in his book Nature Wars. In the 18th century, it was common for employers to reward their workers with gift turkeys at Christmas. Those European bread varieties are the ancestors of the turkeys most of us now eat for Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, the ancient domesticated turkey in the southwest known as the Pueblo domesticated turkey, likely fell victim to European violence. As indigenous people succumbed to disease, slavery, and the sword, their turkeys went extinct, Conrad said. It's really a tragedy, he said. The domesticated turkey subspecies disappeared, but not completely. Some of those ancient genes live on in those wild Merriams. And those wild Merriams, they're wandering the South Hill. But I thought that was a pretty interesting article it goes on. It's a very, very lengthy article. You guys can find it on Google if you type in Inland Northwest's Thriving Turkey Population. And if you want to check that out, it's a pretty interesting read. There is a lot to it, and I'm not going to read all of it here, but it goes on to talk about the history of the wild turkey and their relationship with the Native Americans, 
their relationship with the European settlers who came in and all the way up to basically the reintroduction or restocking efforts by the NWTF in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So pretty cool little read there, and you guys might want to check that one out, especially with Thanksgiving rolling around here in a couple of weeks. You can share some fun facts at the dinner table. Speaking of the ups and downs of turkey population over the centuries, let's talk a little bit about the rise and fall of fall turkey hunting. So there's an article in the Caldwell County News from a couple of weeks ago that says that 20 years ago, hunters in Missouri killed 15,000 wild turkeys in the fall. Through about two-thirds of the season in 2019, the harvest numbers stood at 2,175 turkeys, and that includes the archery season and the fall firearm season as well. The article says that fall turkey hunters in Missouri have lessened their efforts over the years when the spring hatch was down. If hunters weren't seeing as many birds, they tended to not put much effort into fall hunting. Also, it says that the collapse of the fur market has caused the population of ground nesting predators like coons, possum, and coyotes to trend upward, and that with all of those factors combined, a wet spring, poor hatches, high predator numbers, population is down in Missouri. And the article insinuates that there's fewer turkey hunters in the woods because of those reasons. I might say that there's fewer turkey hunters in the woods today compared to 20 years ago because deer hunting for that trophy whitetail buck has become so popular over the past couple of decades. But what do I know? And by the way, I stumbled across another article that talks about the results of the Polt survey that was done in Missouri this year. The article said that Missouri's Department of Conservation's wild turkey brood survey for 2019 showed turkey production was below average statewide at 0.9, which is the same as last year's poult to hen ratio, but lower than the average poult to hen ratio for the previous five years of 1.1. So for you guys that are not familiar with that, that means that for every hen that was seen, 0.9 poults were seen as well. And the state is blaming a great deal of that on the very rainy spring with all of the flooding as well that happened in Missouri. All right, you guys hunting in West Virginia this coming spring. The season is going to open on April the 20th and it's going to close on May 16th. Also, you're going to have a two-day youth season for wild turkeys this spring, and that's going to be April the 18th and 19th. So make your plans to get to West Virginia and get that state marked off your list while the population is still in great shape in a large part of the state. That is all that I've got for you guys today. But before I cut you loose, if you'll do me a favor, I would greatly appreciate it. This Monday is Veterans Day, and if you would just shoot a text message or give a phone call to or drop by in person and let a veteran know that you appreciate his or her time spent serving in the military and let them know that you've not forgotten them. If you would do that for me, that'd be a huge help. And I'm about to do it right now because I'd like to thank all of you veterans out there who are listening for your service. Without you and 
all of the heroes who came along before you? Well, we probably wouldn't have the Turkey Hunter podcast. We probably wouldn't have the ability to even get into the woods with firearms and still enjoy our hunting heritage. There's no telling what this world may look like today if it had not been for you men and women out there who have served. So thank you very much. And for all of you who are still active in the military today, my prayers are with you. I hope that many of you will be able to spend some time with some loved ones, even if it is just by video chat over the holidays. Stay safe out there and God bless you. Hey, that's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.